14 Bannerman Road is where Sarah Jane Smith lives. And 14 Bannerman Road is the name of my podcast about it. This time, The Man Who Never Was, Parts 1 and 2, the last televised episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures, written by Gareth Roberts, who co-wrote the very first episode, and directed by Joss Agnew, with Part 1 first broadcast on the 17th of October 2011, and Part 2 first broadcast on the 18th of October 2011. And so we begin with the penultimate 13 Benham Road, exactly the same as the one that we had in the previous episode, and then we cold open with a kind of ad from Joseph Surf, an American tech CEO, looking a little bit Poundland George Clooney, giving the date for launch of his new computer, the Surfboard. I quite like that. It's kind of silly, but also, if you're in his position, you call Joseph Surf, hell yeah, call it the Surfboard. We fell up to see that it's on a TV in the Surf building, it's being watched by a cleaner, and there's some uncomfortably close close-ups of Joseph's face sort of intermingled in this ad. The cleaner is slightly disgruntled. She's a young woman, she's got an accent, and she asks under her breath, where's my billion dollars, Mr. Surf, as he goes on about the money that was thrown at developing the new product. There's a cool shot of her sort of down at the bottom of a long spiral stairwell, where Surf continues on with his spiel, and he says, you know, like, did I see? did I say product? I meant friend and you know all this marketing nonsense and then she hears a sort of bizarre kind of laughing like shriek it's, it's an alien noise for sure and it's coming from the lift which opens halfway and thick stubby fingers reach around the door and the cleaner screams as a small figure in a welding mask and brown robes drags her in and then we zoom back up to a small monitor as the ad ends and we roll titles I'd have liked for us to zoom back into it fully, so we kind of end the intro the way we started, but we're a little bit off uh, an angle. Oh well, overall, it's a very good, you know, Doctor Who-esque intro. From the previews, we know that the man's a hologram, so now we want to know about the lift creature. So we roll our titles, and then we're in the attic, and Sarah Jane is talking to Clyde and Ronnie about having everything ready for Luke, because he'll eat her out of house and home. And Clyde mentions that the cupboards were bare when he went up to Oxford to visit Luke. And then enter Skye, who says she's a bit nervous about meeting him face to face. We cut to Luke opening the door to his old room, immediately seeing it belongs to Skye now, and just kind of going, oh, right, yeah. He goes into the attic, there's hugs all round, except Skye who stays back a bit. And Luke refers to Clyde and Ronnie as Clarny, and then I immediately go and search AO3. And I'm surprised to see there's only one piece of fan fiction that shows up when I enter that ship name. Guess what, as well? It was written this year. So it's, it's nice to know that the fandom is more than just me. Um, the introduction between Sky and Luke is predictably a bit awkward. Sky's just like, y- you're taller than you look on the webcam. He's like, yes, I am. But Sky accepts that they'll be friends, sort of as a matter of fact, because she says, well, we're sort of brother and sister. They all sit down together. Luke says he had to leave K9 behind because of rights issues. I, I, I mean, um, he's he's digitizing the Bodleian Library. Yeah, so he, he can't come now because um, he's converting all those books to a uh, less decayable format. Um, but Luke has made a dog whistle. It seems quite similar to the one that I swear Sarah Jane had before, but I can't remember too much about it. Mr. Smith can't contain a oh good when. Uh, he sort of has to quickly extend it to oh goodness me what a shame when he is that canine isn't here um i think he totally could have held that back but he was just being a bit nasty but we know really when it comes down to it that how much he loves canine really and this leads into rani saying that they could replace him with a surfboard you know so you know watch watch your mouth uh, mr smith and sarah jane says that there's a trial run of the launch this morning before the real launch this afternoon and only three of the UK's top journalists have been invited to that. One of whom is herself. What do you think pays for all this? Honestly, I was happy to run with the idea that her aunt was probably a billionaire by this point and just stretch the will out as long as it would go. But yeah, Sarah Jane is is a genuine journalist and a very, very good one at that. One of the top three in the country, at least according to Surf Systems, who has been invited to this trial run of the launch this afternoon, or rather, trial run of the launch this morning, the real launches this afternoon. And she's wrangled it so that she can take Luke and Sky along, but unfortunately can't bring hashtag Lani. Because um, even taking her kids is highly unprofessional, but she's she's managed to she's managed to get it approved. Cut to the surf building. Luke and Sky are both signing non-disclosure agreements and everything. And then enter an older man who clearly knows Sarah Jane, and he says that she's as lovely as ever, 
and you know that gets a bit of a facial expression from Luke, like I'm uncomfortable with people flirting with my mum. Sarah Jane introduces him as Lionel Carson. He used to be her old editor. Uh, I seem to remember Gita mentioned an editor at the wedding, so I wonder if this was him there or if it was another editor. I imagine it was somebody else, otherwise one of the wikis would have flagged it up or something. But he says he's only really here to impress his grandkids, and he does sort of... He's, he's, he's an old man, and he does the old man thing of, you know, there's nothing wrong with a typewriter. And of course, Sky never heard of a typewriter. John Harrison, from Surf Systems Public Relations, comes to meet them. Uh, I can't help noticing that it seems like the last reporter is late. If Lionel is, is one of them, he used to be an editor, he moved on to being a journalist himself, and also one of the, the top ones in the country. Kind of makes sense that if, if Sarah Jane was sort of in proximity with him, maybe they both, you know, maybe sort of learn from the best kind of thing and, and that kind of deal. Um, but it seems like the last reporter is late. A little bit weird. Sky says that there's there's what well, we the audience kind of hears an electrical buzzing, but nobody really can feel it. But Sky is sort of implying that it's, this is what Sky is feeling, and she says she feels like it's building up, um, but strange. It's it's not like a storm. She's sort of sensitive to storms and things, but it's this feels a bit different. We go into the auditorium, and it turns out the third reporter was not late, but was early instead because he's sitting in there. It's just it's just weird. I guess that like he wouldn't introduce himself because he doesn't know them. But he's he, yeah, he's just already here. He's just chilling in the auditorium. Okay, he's really. I don't know why they even said it was three. They just went, oh, we we need another guy. So like, not everyone here knows Sarah Jane. But he's there's no, he's of no consequence whatsoever. This third guy. And then we sort of cut to the point in the presentation where Surf enters, and enter he does, and no, basically since we've seen him up to this point, Lionel has just been pretty much non-stop flirting with Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane says that Surf doesn't look bad in the flesh, and Lionel says, well, I'm just like you, Sarah Jane, you both have charisma, but the way he emphasises charisma betrays him just saying that basically, Sarah Jane, you're really hot. That's an attractive man, you're just like him, you're an attractive woman. Sarah Jane seems a bit amused by it all. He's like, oh, well, you know, I appreciate the attention, but uh, I'm not going to end up dating this man, you know, that sort, that sort of deal is what's going on. Surf does his spiel, and then the surf balls are brought out and handed out to the three journalists, and they're like kind of rounded off laptops, the screen is a touch screen. Be sure, this is 2011, but the bezels are absolutely massive. It seems like a limitation of the props team. At first I think they've made it out of a tablet and a separate keyboard, and I imagine the tablet's already got pretty big bezels, and then they've had to construct a custom case around that. It's just... it's thick. It's... it's... when you, when you have it together, it's, it's quite sleek. It's weird, weird that it's rounded off. You don't get much rounded off tech, but I mean, Clyde had that rounded off phone. Maybe it's 2011 is the year where we rounded everything off. But it's it's uh, it's blue, and it's not it's not like a sleek kind of Apple product. It's it's more it's more chunky than that. Some slightly kind of hypnotic background music plays. You know, Surf continue continues his spiel. He even refers it to it himself as spiel. Um, but there's a lot more of a focus now on you want one, you love it, you gotta get one, everyone's gotta get one. And all that I can think is, you know, the drink it, drink it, drink it, it's the kind of everyone's being hypnotised. And then he glitches. His face glitches, just for a second, and both Sky and Luke spot it. After the presentation, Lionel has clearly fallen for this hypnosis. I see why they set him up as the old granddad now, because... You know, he was he was against all the tech, I love my typewriters, and now he's absolutely head over heels for the surfboard. They're allowed to keep their surfboards, so Sarah Jane, very adorably, turns to Luke and Sky, and is like, look what you've got! Hurrah for mum! Hurrah for mum! And she holds it out to the kids and wonders why they aren't jumping for joy, and the kids explain to Sarah Jane what they saw, I assume at this point that it's just pure luck that the journalists were looking at the surfboards while he glitched, so only the kids saw it. Luke says that he's going to stay behind, he's going to try and figure out what's going on, why did this man glitch? While Sarah Jane takes Sky home and gets the laptop analysed, presumably by Mr Smith. Now, Sarah Jane gets home back to the attic again, and she explains that it wasn't all the journalists having their noses in their laptops, it was just so quick that Luke picked it up because he has superior senses, and Sky is sensitive to electrical fluctuations. And I feel like this 
almost over explains it. It raises slightly too many questions. There were seven people in the room. One of them is fake. One of them knows he's fake. Three are distracted. Two see the fake man glitch. That's it. Move on. You know, we don't need superior senses. Like, he's got a superior memory, sure, but now he can see things quicker than all of us? Surely that would have come up before in some some point in the previous four and a half series. They get Mr. Smith to pull up the video of the rehearsal, and he says it may take some time and then produces it immediately because he's just insufferable. Sky picks out a particular frame, and it looks fine, so she gets Mr. Smith to roll back a tenth of a frame. Now, now frame is the smallest unit of a video, right? Like the seconds in a video are made up of how, how many ever many frames you've filmed it per second. Like a tenth of a frame, you can't, like you can't do that, can you? That's not, that's not a thing, is it? Now he does say, time flexing applied. So I guess maybe this is their way of using sci-fi nonsense to make sure that even if other people had recorded this glitch on on their recording, they wouldn't be able to see it because they can't see in these in-between frames. But he's a big sci-fi computer and he knows exactly what he's looking for and he can see it now. I don't know. Now, out of curiosity, I sort of make my way through the video, and the actual glitch effect that we see when we see it happen for the first time, it lasts for about four or five frames of actual episode. I wonder then if Luke's superior senses mean that he experiences time 50 times slower than the rest of us. But, hey, who knows? Clyde says that he's preparing to say the A word. Sky asks what that is. Ronnie sees their chance and cuts him off and explains that it's aliens before he can. I love them very much. I love how important all of them kind of playing off each other like actual friends and family is to, to this show. It really, it's, it's, it's just wonderful detail. Speaking of details, Mr. Smith pulls up Surf's details, and we find out that he is Joseph Samuel Surf, born in Ohio in 1972. His birthday's the day after mine, actually, though of course a fair few years before. Graduated Harvard in 93, Almost died when skiing in 2007, disappeared from the public eye since then. Sarah Jane notices in all the photos of him, he's never touching anything. All the photos since 2007, the ones before, of course. Uh, you know, he's, he's with friends and family, he's got his arms around him. But since 2007, once he's come back after almost dying, not touching anything. Pair that with the glitches, pair that with the accident in 2007, Joseph Samuel Surf died in 2007 and has been replaced by an amazing kind of hologram, one that can get into cars and sit down on things, but is never really in contact with anything, can't pick anything up. Still, when you're looking at him in the room, indistinguishable from a normal human. Amazing stuff. Where the heck have Surf Systems got this tech from? She also picks up on Lionel being hypnotised, and wonders if the surfboards are a kind of Bane-like plot, you know, that everybody gets uh, subjected to a surfboard, and they all get hypnotised, and they all want everyone to go out and buy it, etc. And then somehow they'll take over the world. Again, Mrs. Smith to run a full-spectrum scan on the surfboard while they wait, and Sarah Jane phones up to get an interview with the CEO who was famously stopped doing interviews four years ago. She phones up the PR man, John Harrison, drops a hint that she knows about the glitches, and then lays it on even thicker and says, you know, what a, a warm real, genuine human being surface, and then that's the interview secured right away, because John would rather cave to her demands than risk her going public with this. There's a bit of back and forth with the folks sort of saying, oh, well, the surf folk know that you know about him, and then she says, well, they they know that I know, and then, you know, it's all that kind of, but you know that I know. And it's back off to Surf HQ, the sky saying that she should come along, she should see if she spots anything again, while Clarny stay back and see what Mrs. Smith says about the laptop. They're a little annoyed that, you know, Sarah Jane and, and her kids are going off to surf again, and they're stuck in, in this attic. But, hey, maybe they can finally use this time to actually confess their love for each other, because I'm not sure how much slow burn I can take. Sarah Jane meets up with Luke, sort of hands Sky over to him before she goes into her interview, and... Luke says, well, hey, I, I wasn't able to find anything else out of the ordinary here. Interview time. Joseph, of course, refuses to shake Sarah Jane's hand. He blames a peanut allergy. Sarah Jane says, well, I haven't been eating any. But John says, well, you might have been in a nutty environment and we can't be too careful. And John and Sarah Jane trade some venomous barbs. 
while he hauls a chair over and he makes himself a part of this conversation too because he doesn't want Sarah Jane to be left alone with this 100% totally real didn't die four years ago head of the company. So to get him out of the way, Sarah Jane asks for a drink and he replies, certainly, tea, coffee, and then under his breath, anthrax. And I think, blimey, that's a bit, that's a bit too venomous now, of course. Wow. Mr. Smith's surfboard scan is complete, and he says that it's, it's a, just a completely standard laptop. He says that it's low spec as well, but I don't know what scale he's using. Compared to him, I think most laptops would be low spec. Clyde takes Ronnie aside and sort of whispers to her, what if it's got him? And Mr. Smith makes it very clear that he can still hear Clyde and assures him that he hasn't been got. And I'm just, I'm finding every in interaction in this episode so precious. I love all of them so much. Clyde points out that Mr. Smith has been wrong about things being okay in the past. I mean, see, rackweed, yeah, that's totally fine. Um, and therefore, Clyde wants to take the gamble and open it up. I kind of get where he's coming from. If it's dangerous, he wants to figure out how and why. But Ronnie sensibly says... Let's at least take some precautions. In the interview, Sarah Jane drops her pen, asks if Joseph can pick it up, but John offers up his instead. You can see he's getting right miffed. He's trying to thwart all their attempts to catch him out. And then we see Sky and Luke sneaking about, and Sky can feel that weird electricity coming from whatever kind of basement that they've got in this place. So Luke says, okay, we'll, we'll report that back to Sarah Jane. But the lift opens up, and Sky wants to go down there. And oh no, she's going to get got like the cleaner in the intro. But she enters that lift, all headstrong-like, and Luke doesn't have much of a choice but to tag along. Back in the attic, by this point, Clyde and Ronnie are kitted out in PPE, and they're opening the laptop from afar with a long stick. And I adore, A, that this is Ronnie's definition of precautions, and B, that Mr. Smith hasn't decided to suggest anything better, and C, the sound department playing a Windows boot-up noise as it's opened up. It's an impeccable scene. Ronnie goes to press the screen to actually get it going. And Clyde says, well, no, no, let me. This is my idea. Thank you very much. I should do it. And Ronnie says, no, it, it needs a delicate touch. And Clyde says, well, I, I'm delicate in a manly way. I have artist's fingers. And Ronnie laughs at him. And they're very, very in love. And Clyde can obviously feel the love because he starts to bring up Ellie from the last episode. And Ronnie says, no, no, that, that, that's okay. Look, I, I, I get it. And presses the screen. Luke and Sky hear a noise that sounds like someone applying more and more pressure to a cat coming from underneath the basement. So Luke enters a fancy code into the lift to override it, and down they go to the basement of the basement. The show just kind of chalks it up to him being smart. He knows how to override lifts. I don't know. Back in the attic, this laptop is clearly running Windows, actually. So props for the boot-up noise. Maybe it's not made out of a tablet, then. Maybe it's a naff little laptop in a custom body, and maybe the touchscreen isn't real, and I was just fooled by TV magic. Or, maybe the touchscreen is real, and it's a naff little 2010 touchscreen laptop, but, I mean, I, I don't know of any. After looking through it, Clyde says that it just appears to be a normal bog-standard laptop. It's, it's just been put in a fancy shell. Nothing out of the ordinary about it. Mr. Smith takes the opportunity to gloat, because we can now confirm that he adjusted his scale for current human tech. It is a NAF laptop. This is probably why he didn't stop them from putting all the PPE and everything on. He just wanted to say, I told you so afterwards. The basement under the basement is, you know, your good old exposed pipes, grody walls. Contrasts very nicely with the shiny building above. It has one particularly rusty door from behind which the awful screeching can be heard. So they can also hear through this door, Sarah Jane and Joseph Surf. So they go in, where it's more clear that the, the Sarah Jane and, and Joseph are being played over a speaker, and it's mixed in with some bubbling and hissing noises. It's all quite gross in here, and there's all sorts of pressure dials and things about. The camera turns around and reveals a load of pipe-like machinery, screens hanging overhead, wires all over the ceiling, lots of steam, and goodness knows how many brown-robed hooded figures all chattering away as they work. They turn valves and things, they pull levers labelled things like smile, arms, legs, one labelled hypno. They're presided over by another one of their kind, who tells them to keep up as he's watching a live feed of Joseph on the screen. It seems like they use a typewriter to spell out what he says, and as one makes a mistake, we see Joseph say, 
we all say thongs we don't moan. And the leader admonishes them with a spelling, and he sounds rather familiar. And could it be Dan Starkey, famous for playing Sontarans, even played one in Flux quite recently? Yes, it could. It's good old Dan Starkey as the leader of these small robed masked figures. I do quite adore the mix of very fancy high-tech hologram being powered by such a manual analog system. Luke and Sky watch on, hidden behind some bit of tech, and we see Sarah Jane knock over a water, and then the beings struggle to get Joseph to stand up so it doesn't just pour right through him. He glitches as they try to crease the fabric, among many other mistakes such as a sexy smile rather than a thoughtful smile. It seems that they're not quite cut out for spontaneous interviews, and would rather be sticking to pre-scripted ads, and Sarah Jane is giving them a bit of a run for their money. John has well and truly had enough of Sarah Jane at this point, calls her a clumsy clod, and knows exactly what she's doing, so calls her out and says, you know, who would have known one of our country's top journalists would be such a lovable scatterbrain? To be fair, she can be a bit of a lovable scatterbrain. He speaks into his earpiece, he says hypno to ten, and Dan Starkey relays it to all, all the little beings, and they crank the hypno valve, and he goes, she must trust, she must trust. And Sarah Jane plays along, and we know she's unaffected, because it was just like in the rehearsal launch. Lionel fell for it, presumably the other journalists fell for it, Sarah Jane quite unaffected. So she stands up, and she drops the act, and she explains that she's an old hand at hypnotism, which refers to many, many old Doctor Who stories in which she was hypnotised. And that's a good, useful reference, because it isn't just fan service. I mean, I do I enjoy the fan service ones as well, but I really like this, that it, it's, it's actually coming into play in the story here. And then she just swipes her hands through him, and his hologram glitches like mad, and all hell breaks loose, uh, sort of down where, where the rope lads are, because, you know, a hologram that we're controlling has failed to convincingly portray a real human. Sarah Jane turns to John, confronts him, says that this is alien technology, and he pulls the device out of his pocket and says, oh, what, like this? And it looks like a quite a thick TV remote, but Sarah Jane raises her hands as he threatens her, you know, one false move and you're dead. Luke can't help crying out, seeing his mum's in danger, and that alerts the beings to the fact that he's there. The leader has taken his guest mask off, so we can see that he only has one central eye which causes Sky to scream, and then they're running, pursued by the whole little gang of aliens down here. The aliens cut them off and gather around them, closing in, as Luke begs for them to let Sky go. You know, she's my sister, she's just a child, please. And the leader shouts, You! 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 And I feel like it's going to build up to a bit of a fake-out cliffhanger, but we roll credits on part one. Part two begins, and for the final time, we have our 13th Bannerman Road. We do our previously on, we do our titles, and then of course, straight into the episode, it was a fake-out cliffhanger. The alien completes his sentence, you must escape, run, and I immediately wonder why all the others have, have sort of blocked them in then. Luke and Sky are very confused about everything going on, and it gets interspersed with Sarah Jane being threatened by John, sort of calling his bluff that he's going to let her walk out of here instead of becoming a murderer by firing this gun. She calls it a gun. It's a weird gun. Instead of running, Sky throws a lever, makes Joseph Surf go absolutely haywire. His eyes are all flickering and everything. John actually does fire at Sarah Jane but misses, and we have a beam of CG energy that's accompanied by a practical mini explosion on the wall that it hits, as they often do. It's very nice. Sarah Jane tries to pull out her Sonic to zap John's gun, but is caught by a security guard, and her Sonic gets confiscated by John. He pulls a pen out of his pocket but it's, it's a techie pen, and he announces level 5 punish. A bit unnecessarily, I don't know why he has to announce it. We could still see, even, it's not even for the benefit of the audience, because we can see what happens if he presses a pen and then we cut to a scene where they're being punished. But a high-pitched tone plays, and all the unnamed alien beings clutch their ears and writhe about in pain, and Sky is greatly distressed watching this and begs Luke to make it stop. It does stop eventually, and the aliens get back to work trying to make Joseph apologise, but still rife with spelling errors. John says that it's enough, it's too late now. He calls the lead alien Plark, and he pulls up a feed of them in the light room on a monitor, spotting Luke and Sky still down there. 
He raises the alarm as Sarah Jane struggles against the security guard's bear hug in, in worry that they're, they're going to catch the kids. Clark tells the kids to run again, and this time they actually do, but they bump into a security guard. As Clyde tries to phone Luke, Ronnie tries to phone Skye, and Mrs. Smith tries to phone Sarah Jane, we see the security guard take Skye's phone and stomp on it. Possibly the final phone destruction of the series, and I, I believe we can now confirm that that, that is. Um, so, so, so someone please explain, now that we've seen all of them, why did this show have such a fetish for destroying phones? What, why, 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 why did it happen so often? Luke actually draws attention to it and sort of welcomes Sky to the club. He says, I've had seven phones in the last two years. And it does feel quite poetic that they'd actually finally mention how often it happens in our final episode, despite them not even knowing that this would be the final episode. John and his security guard enter with Sarah Jane in tow and the, the three get reunited, Sarah Jane, uh, Luke, and Sky. Clark comes running up to John, refers to him as Master, and John says, you let the kids roam free. So even as Clark begs, he readies and then administers a level 7 punishment. Clark lets out a high-pitched squeal, and he falls to the floor and clutches the collar around his neck. It seems to be the thing that emits the sound, because, you know, I don't know where the sound would be coming from otherwise. I can only ima imagine that if he's willing to do this in front of Sarah Jane and Sky and Luke, then he's, he's willing to kill them afterwards after showing it to them. Sky confronts John and says that he's hurting them, you know, tells him to stop. And Luke says, these are clearly intelligent creatures, you can't treat them like this. And he asks, why not? And he's paid enough for them. And he explains that a ship crashed in Central Asia and the survivors were put up for sale. He calls them the Scullions which are a race that had actually been mentioned a month before this episode aired in an episode of Torchwood. And they later appear in the background of an episode of Doctor Who. Sarah Jane says how abhorrent this all is. And I think that the funny little one-eyed alien man design is doing a lot of work to disguise how dark this villain really is. Possibly the darkest villain that Sarah Jane Adventures has ever had, willing to engage in the slave trade to power his hypnosis machine to sell cheap tech to the masses. Just a truly evil man. I do like how he kind of hides in the background, and he puts Joseph up as a veneer, a man who's literally not even real. I was going to say a man who never was, but he he, he was was uh, you know up until two thousand seven when it, when he died. For the next minute or so, John and Sarah Jane sort of clear up the plan that he spent millions buying aliens as slaves. They create the hypnotic hologram. The hologram influences everyone to buy cheap NAF price-inflated surfboards, and then he makes billions back. He seems to justify his actions by saying, well, this is how the world works. Money gets exchanged for goods and services, and that's all the scullions are for him. He sort of dehumanizes, or, uh, de well, they're not human. De De-avianizes them? De-scullionizes? But, you know, he's, he sort of, he treats them without the respect that a living creature, you know, sort of requires probably finds that a bit easier to do thanks to their appearance. Just a just a horrible and despicable man and sort of, you know, the 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 far like capitalism sort of run completely riot, do whatever it takes just to get more money at the expense of whoever, you know, the sort of complete cartoonish villain kind of guy. Calls Sarah Jane naive for thinking that the world can operate any differently to this. And then growing tired of explaining all of this to us, he strikes a guard to put the kids in storage unit 5. Fair enough. We haven't seen him actually try to kill the kids before, he just tried to kill Sarah Jane. So maybe that's where he draws the moral line. Just put him in the storage, lock him away, stop him interfering anymore. Sarah Jane is taken into her own storage thing, uh, with John implying that he's, he's running out of time before the launch, so he's going to come back to deal with all of them later. Guess who's in the storage thing alongside Sarah Jane? Why, it's the cleaner from the intro! who asks Sarah Jane if she's hurting the little people and calls Sarah Jane scum before Sarah Jane can get out. Wait, wait, wait a second, I'm, I'm not with them, I'm a prisoner too. Of course, it makes sense that she'd pop up, because the Scullions didn't want to hurt her. They wanted her to set them free. She obviously got caught. Nice, she's still around. I mean, not that nice for her, but, you know, it's, it's nice that she's actually more part of this story. In Storage 5, Sky sort of paces around in frustration that John could even be so cruel. Luke mentions humanity's history with slavery and the fact that it still continues to this day. This really is the series that kind of seemed to be taking more of a Doctor Who-esque stance against societal injustices and 
pretty much each episode and it's a shame that it all ended when it did i think because we could have we could have really sort of got more some more episodes that, that hit a lot harder but i mean you know that's 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 the way the world worked and it's incredibly unfortunate but that's that is what happened sky asks if this, if this is what humans are like and luke says well not all of them and they hug and she says you can have your room back if you want she thinks that he's been upset by it and he's not telling her and he says well it's okay but right now we also have other things to focus on namely escape in the other storage the cleaner says that her name is adriana petrescu or petres is it like dimitri the thing is i she said it very quick so i went oh okay i i need to actually look up what she said and i, I found the the words but you know like lady dimitrescu you know like resident evil her name might she might be adriana petrescu and not petrescu but anyway she quite pessimistically says that the Scullions are dying and we're likely going to die down here too. Sarah Jane says, no, 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 no. We're going to escape, actually. And Adriana says, well, if we escape, we have to help free the Scullions. And Sarah Jane says, you know, you've, you've restored my faith in the human race with your compassion after seeing how cruel we can be after looking at John. You know, it's very nice to see that someone actually cares about about these aliens that are being treated so so horrifically Clyde and Rani watch as Mr. Smith shows them the latest BBC report about about the launch drawing near Clyde says we've got to get over there having not heard from anyone because of course all their phones were either taken or destroyed Ronnie springs into action tells Mr. Smith to access the surf systems hospitality list and Clyde go and get your best clothes on somewhere in I didn't write this down but somewhere I think I think it's around here when Clyde says we need to get over there. He says we can take Luke's car, Luke's car being the uh, yellow Volkswagen Beetle, um, which means that one of them must be able to drive out of uh, Clyde and Rani. I imagine Rani because we have seen her taking um, driving lessons before, so that's nice. That's another bit of progress sort of of their characters, isn't it? That they they grow up and they learn to drive, and we see a little bit of that in the background. Quite nice. Luke and Sky's door opens. Clark comes in with a plate of what could only be described as slop and a couple of bottles of water. Luke says, no, you should take one. You know, you, you need it more than we do. But he says he can't drink. Pure water burns. He explains that they, they drink citrus juice instead. Now that's setting up something. Something horrific. Sky heads towards the door. Says that we can help you escape if, if you let us get out of here. But he's hesitant to do that for fear of being punished again. He shows them the raw skin under his collar. Either wearing the collar irritates him, or there's an element of physical pain from the collar alongside the noises too. What great fun. We find out that there is an element of physical pain for this, for this collar. He tells them to stay put, and he leaves the room and closes the door again. Sky says that if the punishments are administered by John Harrison's pen, then they need to get a message to Clyde and Ronnie to find a way to get it off him. If they get it off him, with no punishment to fear, the Scullions can then come and set us free. Luke wonders how, and Skye suggests his dog whistle. And Luke thinks that's genius and exclaims, well, you really are, my sister. And I like this one, because it was a nice bit of misdirection to say that K9 won't feature in it at all, but now they mean only visually. I mean, he doesn't really feature in it, but it's sort of a K9. You think it's just, oh, I made this dog whistle, the K9's not going to be in it, whatever. It's just sort of mention K9, get him out of the way. It's all part of that. But then it does come into play as well. Also... Luke had had his jacket on, and he sort of wore it around his neck. So Luke had had his jacket on, so the whistle wasn't visible. It was kind of out of sight, out of mind. Now it's visible again, because he's taken off his jacket to give it to Sky. Nice. That's where you see the planning that has gone into this. That's what I like. Now, of course, K9 won't be able to detect it all the way back in Oxfordshire. But Mr. Smith, however, we're going to go with the fact that he can detect it. Let's reserve judgment until we see how, exactly how that happens. But they are locked in a basement under a basement. Not 100% sure how they're going to hear it, but we'll see. Back in the attic, re-enter Clyde in, 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 a, in a snazzy suit. He's saying, we've got an hour till this launch. Sees Rani dressed up snazzy too. You know when I was talking about the clothing last episode? Or episode before? I, I think it was last episode. I can't quite remember. I think it was last episode. But uh, they... This scenario seems entirely devised so that they can look like proper grown-up adults here. Ronnie says she's done it, as Mrs. Smith prints out two passes for Trevor and Janet Sharp, and he corrects her that they've done it, and she gives him a little sort of blink-and-you'll-miss-it, whatever. 
and you can add that interaction to the growing list of ones that I adore. She's not even facing the camera from from the angle we see because we see it's Mr. Smith who's printed out these these tickets, and as he as he sort of corrects her, just throws up her hands a little W. And it's so quick and it's really quiet under her breath. It's just like the well, whatever you know, whatever, Mrs. Smith. It's just wow, chef's kiss. It's it's so good. She explains that they have to be Trevor and Janet because they're the ones who they could engineer to not show up. And Mrs. Smith alludes to the fact that he's cancelled their entire plane flight, so they're not going to show up. They are, however, writers for a magazine which is aimed at over-60s, though presumably a trendy one if it's got a bit of a tech focus, and they're married. And, oh, I see, I see what you're doing, Gareth Roberts. You're doing the old trope. You're doing the, oh, no, these two people are in love and they haven't properly confessed it, and now they have to pretend to be in love for a thing. Oh dear, whatever's going to happen. Turns out, not a lot. It's a bit of a shame. It's just a little bit awkward about it. Quite cute, but a little bit awkward. But I, but it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's such opportunity. Ah, oh well. The burn will continue to smolder away so very, very slowly forever. Ring, ring, incoming message. Uh... Luke is blowing the whistle in Morse code. Presumably, Mrs. Smith has ears everywhere and just sort of filters out everything, but a high frequency in Morse code has piqued his interest. Cool. I'll just about accept that. Just about. I mean, out on the street, there would be mics everywhere, phones, etc. But in the storage room, I guess I guess there are, there are lots of microphones in the building above. I guess maybe you can just about hear it. But, uh, you know, as Ronnie put it, whatever. <laughs> The transmission is on K9's command frequency, so it's gotta be Luke. And also, he's a clever lad to who knows Morse code, we can just take that for given. The message begins Clarny, so nice callback, I like it. And it allays any fears that Ronnie had that it could be a trap. And it continues, grab Harrison's P-E-N full stop. And Clyde says he's never been more glad to see a full stop. And oh my god. That's the most for the parents joke that this show has ever had. I am mildly surprised that they kept that in. That's that's amazing. Doctor Who has always had a little bit of that. They can't, you know, they can't resist. But I didn't, I didn't expect that we'd be seeing that on the Sarah Jane Adventures. That is, that's great. We cut to Sarah Jane and Adriana, who have devised a plan. Sarah Jane says it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. So they're in the storage room. They found some cable. They tie it to a storage rack on one side of the door and Adriana hides on the other side of the door. Sarah Jane pretends to be attacking Adriana behind some boxes so that only she's visible and there's really nobody behind the box, but we, you know, it's, it, she's implying that Adriana is there. Adriana cries out for help. When the guard enters, Adriana pulls the wire tight, he trips over it, and then they both run out of the room, locking him in there. It's a very Sarah Jane, you know, slightly silly, but altogether pretty neat little plan. Harrison goes down to confront the Scullions, tells them that there must be no mistakes at this launch, but of course doing nothing to actually help them fix any mistakes, and instead just threatening their lives. If they fail, it's going to be level 10 punishment. Clark tells him that they thirst, that they're so thirsty, and in a huge display of cartoonish villainy, he replies, Oh dear, shall I give you all the drink? And I can feel the dread... I can feel the water coming, and he grabs a hose, and he sprays them all with bursts from a hose, as they all cower and writhe in pain, and Clark, please, no master, please, water burns, water burns. And then John asks if they've got the message, before just screaming whack at them and walking away, and once he's significantly out of earshot, Clark hisses at him. It's just a torture scene. Hi kids, welcome to the Sarah Jane Adventures, where we... Torture aliens. I mean, it, it, we. It's, it shows that, like, what a terrible, terrible person it, 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 he is. In no way is it implied that this is a good thing. But blimey, they're all there. They're screaming and writhing and, and begging for him to stop. And it's just, it's horrible. He's a horrible, horrible man. So Jane and Adriana go over and, and unlock Luke and Sky's door, and they say that they have to go after John's pen, but. You know, Sky and Luke explain that they've already managed to get that covered. And then here we see it being covered as Ronnie and Clyde enter and spot John talking to a reporter. And we have quite a nice shot that kind of sweeps down from the ceiling to focus on lining up Clarny in the background 
between the pen and the dictaphone in the foreground. I like that. Looks fancy. A squad with Sarah Jane in, you know, the squad that isn't Clarny, they go to see the Scullions again, or really just Plark, because it's, it's way cheaper to have one dude who can speak English and, and lead all the minions in their welding masks, so you only need to make one prosthetic head, and then you let us fill in the rest with our minds. He says that they should go, and they say, no, we're here to help you, and he says, if you help me, we're going to get punished again. And they say, well, guess what? That's what we're going to help with. They spot Clyde and Ronnie on his screen, and Sarah Jane says to Adriana, I've got a plan. I, I need your help. Clarny get stopped by Lionel, who introduces himself, and they very awkwardly try to be a bit too married and just, oh, the old ball and chain, the old trouble and strife. And he recognises Twilight Years magazine, and they have to fib that they're do they're, yeah, the magazine's doing a new approach. It's, it's calling in the voice of youth. As Ronnie splits off and approaches John for a comment, he obliges, you know, impatiently, because he's just received news of Sarah Jane's gang's escape. Clyde asks Lionel for a pen, and he offers it up. Now, the plan that involved Adriana was to take her clothes. Agent 47 style, Sarah Jane, posing as a cleaner, is able to get to a phone in the building and phone up Mr. Smith and get him to arrange for a ship from Skultos to come back and pick up the Scullions. Presumably, either the Scullions didn't have a location before because the, the survivors were moved from Asia to the UK, you know, Earth's a big place, or they presume them all dead in the crash, or whatever it was. I was gonna say that maybe they want to keep Adriana out of this as much as possible, so what is, which is why it's Sarah Jane that has to go and phone up Mr. Smith, but she already knows that aliens exist and she's already sympathetic towards them, but maybe Mr. Smith just has a really complicated phone number. I can't remember if we've seen a phone number for him, but, uh, who knows? Maybe it's just easier for Sarah Jane to go and do this for whatever reason. Ronnie asks John for a pen. He hands her a different one, of course. He do, he's not going to give up his, his, his techie pen, his punishment pen. And he tells her to keep it because he's running out of time. And he strides away very quickly into Clyde, who does an old switcheroo, swapped John's punishment pen for the one that Lionel gave him. Now, if it were me, I'd be checking my pockets after that encounter. I know I've got a punishment pen on me. I don't want to lose that. But hey... John's in a rush, both pens are red, so maybe he just has a quick look down at his pocket, sees a red pen there, assumes all is fine. I don't know, we just gonna have to roll with that. As the Scullions and our gang watch on, they realise that they're all free, they begin to celebrate. Sarah Jane, who's changed back into her normal gear, tells Adriana to help her guide all the Scullions up to the roof where rescue's gonna come for them, and that Luke and Sky should stay down here, monitor the monitor, and keep an eye on John. As the launch begins, all the journalists file into the auditorium. John marches over to Rani, brandishing that red pen, gives it back to her, and snatches away the punishment pen. Okay, fair enough, it didn't take him that long to notice, I respect that. He sends another threat down to Plark, but of course now it's been heard by Luke and Skye, who realise that if the hologram doesn't obey, he's going to cotton onto it, so they're going to have to operate it. I like that. I didn't see it coming. But, uh, you know, maybe I should have. It's it's the good old sort of, it's the classic scenario, we're going to have to wing this for our lives. But, I mean, let's see how they do. So John gets to the part of the launch where he's going to welcome Joseph out onto the stage. He does. Nobody steps out. He does so again. We see Luke and Sky hurriedly trying to get to grips with all these controls. And Joseph awkwardly lurch out onto stage as Lionel leans over to Rani and says he looks like he's been drinking. Sky bashes away at the typewriter. Of course, she's only heard of one this morning, so she makes some spelling mistakes too. Right now, you know, Joseph Surf, he doesn't look non-human, but he looks like a very strange human indeed. Sky makes Surf turn around. He looks at himself on the screen and says, Whoa, I am gorgeous. And then Sky explains to Luke that that was the first thing that she could think of, as he says he'd never say that. That's made all the more funny because we saw in the rehearsal, in part one, his pre-planned joke was to look at himself and ask, who is that beautiful guy? And then John sarcastically said, oh yes, very spontaneous, sir. But now we know he's the one who wrote it. And he was just playing the part of a kind of fed up PR man, because that's what the journalists expected to see. Nice. Nice. I like it. Luke reminds Sky he's American, but with her only reference being Toy Story, and possibly also a bit of a mischievous streak coming through at a very inopportune time, she goes overboard, she has him scream out, yee-haw, and just sort of generally be a major stereotype. And this spurs Harrison 
you know, John Harrison, BR man, to use the pen. And as Sarah Jane tries to pull the collar off Clark, she gets a painful shock. And I think you could have tried to pull these collars off them when they were inactive. This is a really bad time to realize that they should be removing the collars. A bit late now, isn't it? Luke turns on Joseph Surf's hypno power and Sky types get the pen. Listen, everybody, I want you to get the pen from Harrison. Then all the journalists in the auditorium rush towards him, and Ronnie's there first, so he grabs Ronnie, and uh, it's, it's Lionel that pulls the pen from his hand, and the next instruction is to smash it, so we see Lionel stomp it into oblivion, and all the scullions are then visibly relieved that, you know, they're, they're not going to be punished so hard that they actually die. And then the next instruction from Surf is that they should all go home, as Sky types out that the surfboard is rubbish, nothing more than bog stand garbage. John screams no, but you know, you, you can't overcome the hypno, and Surf continues till they've all left the room, uh, with Lionel sort of reverting back to his love of typewriters and everything. And once the room is clear, Surf turns to Clyde and Rani and goes, Hi Clarny, go to the roof. Bye Clarny, and dematerializes. But John, having heard the message, runs up there, pulls out that weird gun that he had earlier, points it at Sarah Jane. I'm not so sure that all the the journalists have made their way out of the building yet, so I hope nobody sees a big rescue ship that's going to come to get them out of this situation. <laughs> but there it is, the big lovely CGI ship phases in, not fully in frame, so it looks a bit bigger than it is. I think that's the trick, right? I think if you get a little bit out of frame, it looks bigger than it is. Then again, I'm not sure if that's necessary for CGI, because you can just make massive things in CGI. Maybe we're at the point where we're doing practical effects on CGI things to make them seem more kind of real fake. I don't... Maybe the top of the ship is out of frame, so that you don't have to pay VFX artists to make the top of a, a ship if you're never going to see it. Maybe it's a bit cheaper. Hmm. That's, that's probably... That's probably why. Glenn and Ronnie rush onto the roof. They catch Harrison from behind. They disarm him. And followed up by Luke and Sky. The Scullions thank the Sarah Jane gang say they're good people, and a beam forms down from the ship to take them all home, and they all gather together, but Harrison, unwilling to let them go, screams they're his, he paid for them, rushes over to them, and gets beamed up too, which is a neat way to, to get rid of him, leave him to Scully and Justice. Luke says he hopes they put him to work, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel no sympathy for the fella. Insanely cruel throughout, he deserves some kind of comeuppance. Clyde asks, um, who's this, who's, who's Adriana over here? She says, well, I'm, I'm just the cleaner. Or I was. Uh, I imagine I don't have much of a job now. Sarah Jane reaches into her pocket, pulls out a card for a unit, and tells Adriana that her compassion is just what they need right now. Be sure to name drop me, you'll get accepted, and I'm going to make sure that they pay you well. That's lovely. We're still not sure how much Sarah Jane wants unit to know about Mr. Smith as well, so maybe it, it was smart that she wore, she's the one who wore the disguise. Back in the attic, Sarah Jane tells Mr. Smith, turn off the news report. You know, the news report is sort of going on, saying the surfboard hasn't lived up to the hype, and Joseph Surf has disappeared. She says it's a shame that folks aren't going to know what really happened to him. And it hits quite hard as sort of a penultimate scene about unfinished business, really, and, and you, you know, folks aren't really going to know how it, how it all ends in the end. Ronnie says, oh, hey, Sky, can you, uh, can you go in your room? Can you go get that CD that you lent me? And as Sky goes into her room, we see Luke is putting up a poster on the on the wall. It's a picture of her. It's been drawn by Clyde, and it says Sky's room. And Luke hugs her and reaffirms that she's his sister. And it's very nice that basically the final scene of the show is her being accepted in. And then we hear Sarah Jane's narration. I've seen amazing things out there in space. It begins. It's the narration from the end of series one. It's been pieced together from alternate takes of when Elizabeth Sladen recorded it then. And it's accompanied by scenes throughout all of the series. So we've got Maria in there. We've got, we've got you know, a, a large variety of scenes. And it continues. But strange things can happen wherever you are. I've learned that life on Earth can be an adventure too. In all the universe, I never expected to find a family. And we see that famous CGI Earth again as we pull away from it. Overlaid in that Sarah Jane Adventures typewriter font is... And the story goes on dot 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 forever. And we roll credits. And that's it. That's the final televised episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. And it's a good one. It's one that I enjoyed a lot. It had a lot of good moments in it. it had a lot of potential. 
really sort of makes me feel creative after watching it. You know, it uh, like I'd love to have made something like this to be involved in it. You know, it's brilliant. It's it's sort of it inspires you in that kind of way. It's just it's just a great it's just a great thing. I'm so happy that it exists. You know, as a series finale, of course, it's not it's not a series finale for for what sort of hypnotized the world implications. It's still not as big as finale can be because it wasn't planned to be. But maybe just because it's it's the last episode, you can't help but notice some things that seem quite final, with Luke referencing the foams, Sky being accepted, the new blood kind of going into unit, uh, even even Clyde and Rani, you know the, the the outfits that they wear in this episode and sort of how they finally matured to that point. There's 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 a lot that that seems scarily final in it. In terms of loose ends, uh, sort of for, for the series. There is, of course, the Corsair, the shopkeeper, Mr. Smalley. Now, I'm not sure what was planned for him, because I kind of get the impression that he was meant to be a one-off, and then when Matt Smith couldn't show up, he was brought back in, which sort of deepened his mystery. So I'm not sure if the mystery was kind of being written by necessity, and they they didn't really have a plan for it yet. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But as I've said before, everything to do with the Corsair is to do with him, so we've still got that. And then there's Sky. It would have been very nice to see her electrical powers come into play more. We know they haven't totally gone away. But in terms of story threads, she's now accepted fully into Bannerman Road, you know, the, the gang. And it feels like that's quite a nice end for her. I'm sort of holding back on giving my full final thoughts, mostly because I don't want it to be over, but also because it isn't quite. Because you see, the reason that Sky was wrapped up so nicely is because there was a scene that, upon them hearing of Elizabeth Sladen's death, was as edited out of this episode. Before they left, Clark was going to turn to Sky and say that she was different. She was going to explain, well, yes, I'm, I'm not a human. I was made by the flesh kind in the tornado nebula, blah, blah, blah. And he was going to say, no, you're not different because of that. You're different because there is something inside you that is trying to break free. Which is not the first time a diminutive alien has noticed something in someone. It's quite reminiscent of the Grosky and Clyde's Archeron energy. But... The scene was obviously cut because they didn't want to set up anything that they weren't going to pay off. So join me next time where I talk about the untold tales. See you then.